0: Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a weekly podcast about the Swift open source language and other projects. I'm Jesse Squires.
1: And I'm J.P. Smart. Welcome to the show.
0: And uh, today, we're going to be talking about two recent proposals that are currently in review, but it looks like review will be finishing soon. The uh, Swift Archival and Serialization Proposal, which is uh, 166, and it's uh, a kind of companion proposal, the Swift Encoders, uh, which is 167, Uh, but before we get started started today. Uh, We have a sponsor this week.
1: Our thanks to Perfectly Soft for sponsoring once again. Um, Today, I want to talk a bit more about where you can find a little bit of help as you're starting to work with the Perfect set of server-side tools uh, for working with Swift on the server-side. And the Perfect team has put up a whole bunch of videos and examples to help developers work in Perfect, um, whether you're trying Perfect out for the first time or you're in the middle of building a project. Uh, So you have Perfectly Soft's YouTube channel. Um, We'll put a link in the show note to that. There's also a series of videos from Ray Wenderlich, uh, which is obviously an amazing site for uh, beginners and people learning to expand their skill sets alike. Um, So we'll put a link to that as well. And then there's a handful of examples on Perfect's uh, GitHub repository. So if you check out github.com slash perfectexamples, so that's the org uh, that their examples are under. And uh, I see a handful of of examples in there, like several pages worth of it. So there's there's a lot you can do. Um, So to find out more, check out perfect.org. And again, thanks to
0: Perfectly Soft for sponsoring this episode. All right. So um, let's begin with uh, Proposal 166. So this was authored by uh, Michael LeHue, Tony Parker, and hopefully I pronounced this correctly, Itai Ferber? That's as close (laughs) as we're going to get, I'm afraid. Apologies. (laughs) Uh, So uh, the... The basis for this group of these two proposals here uh, is basically uh, to provide like a Swifty version of NS coding and NS JSON serialization and NS property list uh, serialization. Um, That's kind of like the TLDR here. Um, But more specifically, uh, you know, those APIs currently... Um, obviously they're Objective-C APIs and foundation. And so, uh, a major drawback here is that, uh, they don't work with Swift value types like struct, uh, and, you yeah, that's
1: right. The NS coding set of APIs, uh, really date back to a very different time. Um, they were really designed with Objective-C in mind. Um, if you've ever used, um, any of the classes like NSKeyedArchiver archiver or NS coding, um, or if you've used things like, uh, state restoration on iOS, like encode with coder, um, and keyed archiver and keyed unarchiver. Uh, also if you've ever tried to serialize things, uh, either in a plist or, uh, with NS user defaults, um, odds are that you've kind of gone through these APIs here and, even though with the uh, big Swift 2 revamp of a, a whole bunch of Swift overlays for the foundation APIs, you still end up having these very stringly typed APIs that are kind of awkward to use from Swift uh and of course don't work with a lot of the Swift constructs like like structs and other Swift only types.
0: Right, so even uh with Swift uh classes, you know, you still have to inherit from NS object if you want to use NS coding uh, if you want to conform to that protocol and use these APIs, and I think you know, even aside from the uh, the Swift issues here, uh, just thinking about Objective C, you know, the, the common pattern is you have a bunch of static string constants to use as your keys for encoding and decoding uh, objects, or you can use the the clever uh, NS string from uh, property to like kind of get some type safety there I think there's uh, probably an NSHipster hipster article about that um, and then with the NS key to archiver apis this is one of the few places actually where if deserialization fails you will it will throw an exception uh, there's no like NS error pointer like what you typically have so uh, this is like one of the few places you have to remember to uh, handle those exceptions, right. which is uh, inconvenient, and I'm I'm sure surprising for beginners. And
1: well, it is surprising, especially because if you're coming in from a different language, uh, or if you're new to Cocoa development, uh, and you know, odds are that we probably have folks listening to this show who never really got into Objective-C. They, they're probably right. new to programming with Swift. And in a lot of other languages, um, exceptions are actually meant to be handled at runtime. Right. The Cocoa foundations, or the, sorry, the Cocoa conventions, um, are really not like that. All of the exceptions or the vast majority of Cocoa exceptions aren't meant to be uh, caught. In, in fact, it's, quite difficult to write safe Objective-C code that also catches exceptions. You kind of mm-hmm. need to pass a special compiler flag. Uh, and and not only that, but odds are that these exceptions aren't meant to be caught. They're more meant as um, usage errors, uh, developer errors. And so uh, when you have this API that throws an exception, this uh, uh, NS-keyed uh, archiver and unarchiver... Um, Sometimes you'll have folks that actually try to catch these at, at runtime and then they'll be leaking memory because All ARC right. isn't safe with memory exceptions or, or with exception catching rather. And so you you end up having this really difficult to to use thing that especially is not very obvious how to use from Swift. So there's a lot of room for improvement here. So I'm happy that, uh, that this is moving forward.
0: Right. I've even seen new- newcomers like throw their own exceptions instead of... Uh, writing an API that passes back an error pointer. And I'm like, uh, maybe this is not the best thing to do.
1: Well, that's um, something that the language ultimate ultimately lets you do, right? right? It's up to the developer um, it, to decide if uh, like you're throwing a, a runtime exception to indicate an API usage error or uh, if you're doing it to, to report uh, an error that should be handled at runtime. And this is one of the um, really controversial things that Swift did where you cannot catch a runtime exception from Swift. You kind of need to write Objective-C code and then wrap it in Swift if you're going to do that. And uh, I personally think that was the right move because Swift does have other mechanisms by which to report uh, API usage errors. And not only that, but the type system um, actually addresses a lot of the cases where uh, you would have had to handle API misuse at runtime in the past. It can now be done at at compile time.
0: Right, right. Yeah, so uh, that kind of brings us to uh, this proposal, and it relies heavily on these ideas of of type safety, and the core of it is really these new uh, protocols that the proposal defines. So there's this encodable and decodable protocol uh, and as well as a codable protocol, it's really just a type alias uh, that uh, resolves to conforming to both of the encodable and decodable uh, protocols. So the proposal outlines, uh, basically all the primitive types will conform to codable. And so when you write your own types, uh, let's say you, you know they provide this example here of a uh, struct uh, location with a latitude and longitude property, both of which are doubles. Um, and because double is codable, uh, you can make your entire struct codable with, without any extra code. A lot of this uh, will be generated for you by the compiler.
1: Yeah, that's right. And in the time-honored Swift tradition of um, adding metaprogramming capabilities as part of the compile time flow and with uh, exposed via, via type-safe interfaces, um, this is all done for you at compile time. And much like the member-wise struct initializers that mm-hmm. are generated automatically, uh, Jesse brought this up to me earlier, um, this is really along the same lines where uh, if you go and conform to the uh, codable protocol, uh, the coding key protocol will, will automatically be... Um, be implemented for you with a default implementation. So, uh, for example, one of the examples that they give here in the proposal is, say, specify uh, an enum with case A and B and conform that to the coding key protocol, uh, which will be exposed via the Swift standard library. Um, The compiler will generate all sorts of things for you, um, including kind of a uh, reflection-like derivation of this where you have access to the string value uh, of this key that can then be used to, to key members of what you're trying to serialize.
0: Yeah, and to be clear, the key is not a raw value uh, sh- string enum. Uh, it's just a regular enum with case A and B. And like JP said, uh, these, the string versions of these cases are derived via reflection.
1: Yeah. So in, in this case, by, by string, we don't actually mean, uh, the raw value that's, um, tied to this enum member. It's rather, uh, basically a reflection value from this enum where by default. So what's, what I find super interesting with coding key is that, uh, the proposal really keeps performance and optimization in mind where, uh, by default, say you have this, this enum key it will use a string representation of the member's declaration name. So say you have case A, um, the, the the key will basically convert to the string A. Um, but of course, like you shouldn't necessarily have to constrict um, how short you want your keys to be just because you want to save a bit of space when it's finally serialized, right? You You want to use the most relevant or the most... Uh, apt name for your enum member, so like you might want to use you know a, a long string for that.
0: Sure, like the in the previous example, the full like case latitude, case longitude, uh, to represent the the two properties in location.
1: Exactly, yeah. So that's a great example, uh, and of course you can think of ones with enum members with names that are much longer. Um, And so the proposal really keeps that in mind. And it has uh, both a string value representation of of its coding keys, which is required, uh, but it also has an optional int value, which I find super interesting. So you say you wanted to, you you don't necessarily want to have this enum be um have an integer raw value but you can for example map to it uh so that you have maybe this uh internal representation that can then be used to really have more of an optimized um size efficient Layout for this that represents this key. So instead of doing a string comparison to to look things up by by string, for example, or storing whole keys, you can have equivalent integers that uh, that you can then kind of use as an alias or a shortcut.
0: Yeah, but even then, like if we take this example, let's say you have your enum keys with your case latitude and longitude. If you just make that enum a raw value int. Then you get all this uh, this more optimized behavior for free, and it really, uh, at least from what I can think of now, it doesn't seem like it will really hinder your code in any way. Because you know, when we refer to enums, it'll just be dot latitude dot longitude. You don't really have to think about that raw value and what the the case uh, actually like resolves to um, when you're using these keys this way. So it seems like you know, it might be a good idea to just always have these, uh, raw value int enums for this. Or can you think of a situation where you wouldn't want that?
1: Well, you might not necessarily want that if, um, if you want your, uh, your keys to be portable sure. and e- even if you end up kind of adding or removing keys or shuffling their order around. Mm. So in that, and especially if you just have a few keys uh, you might not want to incur the um uh, basically y- you don't want to incur like having to support the integer equivalent for the rest of the lifetime that you want to support this coding key.
0: That's true. That's right. true. Um, right,
1: but I mean, if if you're doing that, you're you're probably going to run into more issues of incompatible serialization deserialization over time, mm-hmm. uh, than uh, and it's probably a, some sort of code smell.
0: Right, right. But that brings up a good point as well. So because all of this is derived and synthesized from by the compiler, um, the conformances to these protocols. If you refactor your types. Let's say you have this location with latitude and longitude. The compiler synthesizes everything. You have your program, you serialize this stuff, and then you refactor. Let's say you call it my latitude and my longitude. Then the next run, and you try to deserialize a previously uh, serialized archive, then it will fail because the keys will be different,
1: yeah, right? absolutely. I mean n- these are these are really more fundamental um, apis that provide the primitive functionality for you to build all sorts of um, serialization deserialization in, into your apps, and I use primitive here in the sense that it's it's foundational, not in the sense that it's easy necessarily um, for sure, and so it, it it's really out of scope to consider things like um, you know, migrating from one uh, data layout to another, uh, and obviously there's a number of libraries out there that that are better suited for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this is great because it, it provides things that can really only be done in the language itself, um, and and it exposes it uh, in a way that's that's really intuitive and uh, doesn't require a lot of work from the user.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So just never refactor your code and you'll be fine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the fun things about, you know, um, persisting your app beyond just its its initial uh, run, right? Is, mm. is that then right. you have to write your code defensively, uh, not only within a single runtime of your app, but across all of space and time. Right. Um, and that's no matter the constructs that are available to a programmer, that's always going to be difficult to do.
0: Right, yeah, maybe uh, maybe it's a good thing that Swift doesn't have uh, refactoring tools yet in Xcode. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, too soon. Uh, uh, three years in, too soon. Um, so, what's what I find a bit interesting about um, about the proposal is uh, if you look at um, all of the kind of default primitive types that are supported for this encoding and decoding, and you look at the at the proposed API, I think this actually highlights one of the limitations of Swift. Um, if you look at the proposed interface, you basically have, um, let, let's see if I can count these, you probably have over a dozen different encode yeah, about 15 different encode and decode methods, each individually typed for all of the primitive types that it, it, that it supports. And this really highlights kind of a problem in, um, in the generics, uh, implementation of Swift, right. where ideally you'd basically have, I don't know, this, this protocol or this collection of types that, um, that, that supports this, but the Swift generics implementation um, is just a bit too constrained for that right now where you wouldn't quite have the type specificity that you would need to have like say exactly um, specify the overload for the type like in 16 and get an exact in 16 out. Um, so it's not you know, directly related to this proposal, but I do find it interesting that it highlights this uh, this limitation.
0: Yeah, so uh, what you see here is uh, an explicit overload for bool, all the integers, uh, float double string, and data. Um, and then you have your generic uh, T. Yeah,
1: T conforming to decodable uh, for decode. And then um, in the encode variant, um, there's actually no generic counterpart to it. Uh, which I don't know if it's an emission or I'm just not finding it. Oh, actually, yes, there there is. It's just mm. <laughs> ordered differently than, yeah, yeah. than the decode ones. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying here is that uh, the Swift generics aren't um, specific enough in this case for the generic variant of encode and decode to be sufficient um, to, to also have all of the primitive types that it wants to have support for out of the gate.
0: Yeah, what's interesting is... Uh... In, at the end of the proposal here, uh, they uh, they note um, the implications for source stability and ABI stability. And while these are additive and don't affect that now, they do mention that um, in the future, um, you know, changing these APIs does affect those things. And, so, so this means that even, let's say, that Swift's uh, generic system does advance to where uh, you, you can have this, uh, uh, a better specialization and specificity of, of types where the compiler can choose those uh, automatically and more efficiently. They're going to have to support all of these APIs moving forward. But maybe by that point they could refactor internally, I guess, to just all call the same method, but you still have this pretty large API surface area that you have to support.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and of course, that's one of the advantages of generic programming. One of the, the, So the flip side of uh, this archival and serialization proposal, there's basically a, a companion proposal that goes with it, uh, where Swift encoders and decoders that support various data formats are proposed right out of the gate. Uh, or, at least, a, a common framework to uh, be able to empower users to build their own encoders and decoders. And I find this um, fascinating, especially because they uh, explicitly reference some of the community driven uh, encoders and decoders that exist out there, like Object Mapper and uh, even Argo, um, which are existing JSON uh, serializers and deserializers.
0: That JSON,
1: oh, JSON always comes <laughs> back to bite you. Um, so it's it's great that uh, you know this was really part of the consideration is looking at okay, well, in practice, how's the community using this, uh, and let's make sure to cater to that.
0: Yeah, and so in one sixty seven, uh, we get uh, a better view of of these types and what this potential API will look like, um, and they they provide. Um, this JSON decoder, which has this really nice API. I mean, you have this single uh, like encode and decode function for the encoder and the decoder. Um, and it's nice because you pass in the type. So it'll be like uh, location.self. And is that right? Or is it location? Um, yeah, yeah. You yeah, definitely
1: yeah. have to, to use the dot .self.
0: Uh, and uh, then the... Return type of this, these functions will, the return type of decode, uh, for example, will be that type T. And so if you think about how JSON decoding works in Objective C now, you just get back a dictionary blob and you have to parse it and then shove it into your own model objects. Um, this is really nice because it uses these protocols established in the, the previous proposal. All of this is synthesized by the compiler, like we mentioned, and you just get your object back. So you have this very, you have this type safe and concise interface, which is super nice.
1: Yeah, it's really great. And, um, you know, they, they're they proposing two uh, data formats uh, to support out of the gate. One is JSON, um, and then the other is property lists. Uh, so, so basically binary plist, which I find fascinating because it's it's the data format that never dies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I think they're on version two and a half or three um, of uh, of of the data format. So, um, it it just keeps on keeping on. But Really, the proposed um, interface for the JSON decoder is is fascinating to me because um, it's exposing uh, not just the ability to decode and specify, for example, the uh, y- either you, you want pretty printed or compact uh, JSON JSON output formatting, but um, it's also spec- specifying data encoding and decoding, um, they call them strategies, but really they're they're basically like transformers mm-hmm. where um, they intend to ship with a few uh, standard common ones out of the gate. Like for example, how to encode and decode dates um, out of JSON.
0: Yeah. It's really nice. This doesn't exist in... Uh foundation APIs, right? It, this? Does. it does. It does. What okay. a great
1: segue. This <laughs> reminds me of NS value transformer APIs, right? which basically do this um, but require a whole lot of mutable global state, where mm-hmm. you're basically registering your uh, value transformers ahead of time. Um, and, and then afterwards, you've got all these runtime hooks that will go and transform your data for you. And I find this fascinating because it's um this is for for me the most interesting part of this proposal is kind of seeing this um, this sub proposal for an equivalent um, and and this sits on top of the language right it, this doesn't incur any changes to the language it's really just kind of a proposal for here's a swiftier way to do uh, NS Valley transformation right and so Here you have these date encoding strategy, this data encoding strategy as well. And not only does it come with a handful of uh, default types, like for example, seconds since 1970 or milliseconds or uh, the ISO 8601 format, uh, but you can also pass in a custom date formatter or altogether a custom block that will um, go in decode uh, the value out of an encoder directly so very cool uh, concepts here
0: yeah and so this is represented as uh, an enum so for this date formatter case you have like case dot formatted and then the enum has a payload for a date formatter uh, which i think is super cool Um, that's um, such a convenient api
1: yeah, I, I strongly agree there. I mean, um, it, it's it's a bit hard to say just by, you know, looking at the interface uh, without actually being able to use it, right? This hasn't been built yet. So this is actually taking a step back. That's generally something that's a bit hard to do when reviewing uh, Swift proposals is that you tend to gain a bit of insight by actually using it. And unfortunately, you know, it's not really practical to go and like implement everything uh, alongside the proposal. And then when people are reviewing the proposal, they can also try it out. And it's totally impractical because right. then you're not incorporating any of the feedback and you could go in an entirely different direction. But, you know, it is it is something that you have to kind of take with a grain of salt. Like we might look back at this six months from now when Swift 4 is out and then say, oh boy, were we wrong? You know, we thought this was an elegant API and it turns out that ah, it's really hard to use. But Try to keep that in mind when when you're hearing our feedback here on, on, on the proposal. Right now it, it looks pretty sweet uh, and concise and flexible. Uh, we'll see how this goes in practice.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: What are some of the um other effects of uh of, of this proposal? Like for example, how is NS archiver and ns keyed unarchiver affected? Or how is this going to play with um, foundation's own NSJSON serialization, et cetera?
0: Yeah, so it looks like uh, they plan to provide APIs on ns-keyed-archiver and NSKeyedUnarchiver unarchiver to basically accept these new Swift encodable types. So this will happen in like the Swift overlay and uh, foundation and uh, you'll have these new like encode, codable and decode codable uh, functions on keyed archiver and keyed unarchiver respectively. And this should uh hopefully allow for like kind of a a nice transition uh API as you're operating in a mixed uh Swift code base um or just kind of like migrating things over to use these new APIs once they're available and basically provide like a, a smooth interop between uh Swift and Objective C. So these are like the uh this is like your USB-C dongle for your new MacBook Pro, basically. <laughs> Dongles. Dongles
1: everywhere, yeah. And uh, not only that, but um, what I find interesting as well is that this proposal doesn't mention NSJSON serialization at all. Um, it doesn't even touch on it. It doesn't say right. uh, we intend to replace it or this is intended to be a um, an alternate implementation uh and the fallout from this the, the the impact of this could potentially be massive because it might mean that uh the swift standard library will ship with a json um encoder and decoder rather than uh require you to pull in either swift corelibs foundation um which yeah could have uh some wide reaching effects mhm especially for swift on linux
0: yeah definitely um well uh, yes the corelibs foundation is already providing these APIs, right? So uh, not these APIs specifically. Um, no. For the uh, well, there's JSON serialization in there. That's but-
1: right. There's the NSJSON serialization reimplementation basically. Right. But that that really sits at the at the core at the core libs foundation layer. Right. Uh, right. So uh, this might be a way to kind of push that very commonly used functionality down a level. Sure, sure. All right, Jesse, uh, I think that's about it for this episode. Once again, I'd like to thank uh, Perfectly Soft for sponsoring this episode. And Jesse,
0: where can people find us? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at uh, Jesse underscore Squires and the podcast at Swift underscore Unwrapped. And you can find me on Twitter at SimJP. Once again, thanks for listening.